Welcome to Season 2 of Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. Together, we wanted to create a safe space where everyone can learn more about our diverse communities, the complicated relationships we have with our culture, and how they intersect with feminism, queerness, disability, anti-racism, career choices, politics, and more. I'm Ariadne Nila, a Filipino-American from a small town on the southern border of Texas. And I'm Sherilyn Lee, a.k.a. Lazu, a new American originally from the only place a dodo bird ever lived, Mauritius. Bisaya, also known as Binisaya or Cebuano, is a language spoken in the southern Philippines and counts 22 million speakers. Ilocano is also a language spoken in the Philippines. It is the third most spoken language in the country with 8.1 million speakers. We're here today with Daryl J. Delphine. He's a 30-year-old Filipino-American actor based in Los Angeles, California. He is Kaede in Fina, Pirate Princess, Kazuma Arashiba in Scar on the Praetor, Legatus Lender and Legate Pumki in the Fallen Legion series, General Geshtar in Secret of Mana, and Emilio Baretti in Lupin III versus Detective Conan the movie. He has also provided voices for shows like Sword Art Online, Hortensia Saga, Kill la Kill, Beyblade, Burst Rise, Dragon Ball Super, and many more. He is also a regular cast member and lead stunt coordinator of the We the Geeks of East LA YouTube channel. You can follow Daryl on any of his social media channels at Daryl J. Delphine to interact or for more updates. Thanks so much for being here, Daryl. It's great to see you after so many years. So many years. Just to give you guys some background, Daryl and I, our families knew each other. My extended family, they're from Connecticut and Daryl grew up in Connecticut. So he knows my cousins. If you're Filipino, everyone is your cousin, more or less. And <laughs> it was just really weird that everyone that I knew in passing through other families, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're my cousin, kind of, sort of, not really. Especially in Connecticut, where the Filipino community wasn't very big at all. So it was just like, I know you. I do, but... <laughs> we might be related, but I'm not sure. Exactly. <laughs> Are you my actual cousin or just my Filipino cousin? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give us a little bit of background on who you are and how all that gets us to here. You being an actor in Los Angeles. Of course. <laughs> I am a Filipino-American here in Los Angeles, California, working as a professional voice actor, on-camera actor, stunt actor. I also do some writing here and there. Nothing crazy. Not yet. Both of my parents are from the Philippines. My dad is from Manila. I don't know. His story <laughs> changes all the time. <laughs> and my mom is from Bugasong. Let's see. What else can I say that makes me sound cooler than I already am? It's all just talk. It is. I'm literally a no one. When did you first get an interest in acting? Was that always a thing as a kid or did you pick that up later on? Yeah, the interest in acting has always been a thing. And for anyone that knew me in Connecticut, I am a huge Power Rangers nerd. That was my thing. I didn't have a whole lot of friends growing up that I could actively play with. And so when I was playing with playing Power Rangers, in my own home, I was not just one ranger, I was all of them. I was the monster, I was the Megazord, and I would jump around and try to be everyone at the same time. It was very embarrassing. On top of the fact that I was also a huge anime nerd growing up, I loved Pokemon, I loved Digimon, Beyblade, all the 90s shows. I'm like my age show. And so I thought it was really interesting that when it came time for college, my parents, as a Filipino Asian parent would, they was like, you need something stable. And so I'm not great academically at all. I'm awful. I'm an awful adult. 
Art school was a happy medium, so I went to school for media arts and animation. I remember sitting in my very first class. It was a live drawing session. There was like a nude model in the middle of the room, and I was like, oh, cool, my drawing's so good. And I remember looking over at the person next to me, and it was just incredible. I was like, I'll get better. I know I will. <laughs> I, ne I never really got better. But the whole acting thing actually happened by accident because at art school, we had a whole bunch of art acting reference classes to show what characters would be doing in their animations or in video games or whatever it may be. One of the teachers for that was like, you're really good at this. Have you thought about doing this. I was like, no, I can't because my parents don't want me to do that. It's a whole thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then around 2012, my best friend, he was over at my place. He came into my room and he hit me with this giant flyer. He's like, hey, you're coming to Anime Expo with me. What? <laughs> Very confused, obviously. But Anime Expo, for those of you not aware, I think it is the biggest anime convention in the US. But they had this thing called the Open Auditions, Bang Zoom's Open Auditions. They would give you a flyer and you would just stand on stage, you would yell the lines. It was just for fun, really. Though, if you did really exceptionally well, you would be granted an opportunity in one of their upcoming shows, like maybe background voices or something. So I did it. I yelled on stage, it was embarrassing, it was frightening, and I remember getting off stage and Tony Oliver, who was one of the original executive producers of Power Rangers, he is one of the directors for that specific studio, and he was like, hey, you're really good at this, have you ever done this before? I was like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? And me knowing exactly who he is, the, the fan, it was a whole thing. But he was like, you should take one of my classes. I'm holding one on October 6th this year. And I was like, oh, that's my birthday. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> Why not? Scrounged up the money for it, took a class. And then a year later, I was background Walla voices that they call background in anime Walla. I did Walla for Sword Art Online, and then it just kept snowballing from there. And so I was like, oh, this is, all right, it's working. <laughs> this isn't the on-camera Power Ranger acting I was hoping for. I was auditioning for Power Rangers as well, but I'm acting finally. <laughs> it only took forever, but it's working. That's my long backstory of how I ended up as an actor. <laughs> That's a great story. Being a Power Rangers fan and then meeting... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny story about the Red Power Ranger. <laughs> yeah, my friend works for the IRS. And I remember he texted me, I think it was last week or something. And he was like, oh my God, we just arrested the Red Power Ranger. <laughs> 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 That's so crazy. Because I was like, wait. Oh, man. I <laughs> That's such a shame because I'm actually quite fond of him as an actor and as a figure that was in my life and whatever. And uh, there was this one time I went out to dinner with him, actually. We were at a convention and I am friends, thankfully, with a lot of the former Power Rangers. Uh -huh. It's a weird mind trip to think about, but it's cool. And so I didn't get to interact with him really directly, but just being around him the entire night, we were at a Morton Steakhouse and it was just, oh my God, it's the Red Power Ranger. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, don't say something stupid. That's gonna come back to bite me. He's great though. I hope everything works out for him, but whoo. <laughs> I hope so too, yeah. yeah. How did your family take that when you switched into acting? They're still taking it. As most Asian parents, 
parents, they see it more as a hobby. My parents say they understand, but they don't understand. It's really hard. There have been a lot of times, especially when my parents are in town, because they live in Connecticut still, and now they're here. I remember there was this one time I had an in-person audition that I was supposed to attend, but my parents were taking up my time, and I really had to go, and they just, I don't know, either them not believing me or they didn't care enough. I missed the audition and I couldn't make it. Whether it be just the Asian Filipino mentality or them just not knowing this is a legitimate career. Very hard one, mind you, but a legitimate career once you finally break in and it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it never gets any easier trying to explain. There's a show that I'm currently working on that I cannot talk about, but I got some footage and I was like, hey, I want you to know why I've been leaving the house and blah, blah, blah. This is the show that I'm working on. And I was really proud of it. I threw it on the TV. And the entire time, my mom's attention was like completely divided. My dad watching is like, what is that? It's the show that I'm working on. Oh, okay, fine. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. This is a waste of time showing you. I, I, I don't. Mm, yeah. mm. But that's yeah. it. Will they get it? My extended family as well. My aunts and uncles back home in Connecticut. They're always like, so how is your job? And I explained that, you know, I'm still acting. Do you have an actual job? Yes, <laughs> technically. It's yeah. finding excuses to appease our culture. <laughs> yep, very Asian thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same thing. I left tech to do music. Mm. And every now and then somebody will slip something like, you're not working, so you could do this and that. And they're like, I am working. I'm just not working for somebody else. And I'm just not doing what you think I should be doing. <laughs> Yeah. Even though they are trying to come to terms with it and wrap their head around it, it still to them feels like I'm just having fun all the time. They don't see the hustle and they don't see the hours that you put in and all the stuff that you need to do to even make like a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. The blood, sweat and tears. It's such a thankless career. Once you finally make it, yeah, you get the, oh man, your music inspired me. Oh, your acting inspired me. But before you get that moment to shine, it's so thankless because no one knows the blood, sweat and tears behind it. And it's just, Whew, I can't even tell you. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I started piano lessons, one of my piano teachers always used to say when we were preparing for exams, nobody will ever know how much work you put into it. Mm -hmm. said, people will say, oh, congratulations, you passed your exams, but they will have no idea just how hard you worked for this. Only you will ever know. And to this day, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. My bank account is crying. <laughs> so funny, too, because I feel like the way parents and relatives talk about songs I release, they appreciate it when it's done. But getting there, they really don't know the work that goes in. It's so odd to me the way Filipino specifically interpret a music career because this is the culture. They have their own karaoke systems in their own homes and they love this. But the moment you tell them that you are a musician, it's no. This is what? <laughs> you adore this. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because they all sing karaoke. It's anybody could do this. Yeah, no, exactly. And I feel like that's what it is. I've thought about that for a long time. <laughs> Trying to make 
sense yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. But that's probably, if I had to guess, yeah, if I can just do karaoke, why can't you just do it on Wow Wow Wee or one of the <laughs> Filipino channel shows? Those awful shows. <laughs> Sherry, you're not missing much. <laughs> These shows are annoying. I think it's just because I was raised very Filipino-American. A lot of the Filipino-Americans I speak to back home, and especially here, are more often very on the same page with TFC, the Filipino channel. The only time I see anyone really enjoy it is if they were raised on it. It's just a very interesting perspective to see it through. It's, oh, this is your jam. I can't relate. This is so weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny when I go to certain Filipino relatives' houses and I can't change the channel because they want TFC on all the time. So I'm just sitting there trying to pay attention to whoever this actor is, Raver Cruz, singing a cover of Justin Bieber. (laughs) And I'm like, all right. Oh, that's great. Wow. Yeah, as a person of Chinese descent, I never watched any Chinese shows. I didn't grow up on any of the actual Chinese cultures except the food. The only time I started to see those game shows and things were when YouTube came along and then people started putting those things on YouTube and I was like, wow, I guess I'm not Chinese. (laughs) Yeah, the disconnect is so weird, especially growing up here in the U.S. Because it really is such a big melting pot. The term people like to use is whitewashed. And on some level, I agree because America, but it's such a mixing pot of everything. And I also relate because I'm actually a little bit Chinese. I have Chinese in my blood, but I've never bothered to really dive all in. (laughs) I think that's the biggest way that a lot of us diaspora kids, that's how we relate to our culture is the food and being Mm -hmm. thanked with the chinela. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. Yeah, no, it's weird. It's hella blasphemous for me to say that I'm actually not a huge fan of Filipino food in general. I like the food that I get from family parties because I've grown accustomed to the way that they cook it. But if I were to go to, say, a Filipino restaurant, I'm like, ooh, I don't like this. I don't like the way that they prepared this. There's a Jollibee right down the street from me. I can't do it. I know I had it in the Philippines. Jollibee, for anyone uninformed, it's the McDonald's of the Philippines. Their big thing is chicken. It's like KFC and McDonald's had a baby. But something about the way that they fry their chicken, my stomach just cannot. I have no idea what it is. But the one thing I will champion to hell and back is ube. I love ube. There are so many things in Filipino culture that I will respectfully pass, but ube? Don't even get me started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have not had ube yet. I have had taro, which I've been told is similar. It's it's similar. I would say ube has a smoother taste. Taro isn't completely far off, but it is the closest to ube, I guess. Yeah, it's on my list of things to try. (laughs) Is there anywhere around you that serves anything ube? I don't know. I haven't gone anywhere since COVID. (laughs) That's completely fair. (laughs) I've been making everything at home. Since March 2020, I have had takeout maybe three times. So we've been cooking everything. My husband makes bread and crackers and things. So like we've been just eating at home and we've gotten pretty good at making a lot of stuff. So now we're like, what's the point of going to the restaurant? We can make it better. (laughs) There was a Filipino restaurant that opened here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dad, let's go check this out. It's not bad. But every time I take my parents to Filipino restaurants, they're always like, we can make it better. There's a Filipino restaurant here. I see the advertisements for all the time. And... I've told myself a million one times, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be the worst Filipino in the world and they're gonna make fun of me for not talking Tagalog, but 
I'm gonna go. And I still have not. That's the moral of the story. I still have not. And so since my parents are back east in Connecticut, I don't want to completely fail my Filipino side. I want to at least try and feel a little bit Filipino. I don't know. I just cannot bring myself to go from the pure embarrassment of just like, I don't know, any of these dishes are, they're going to make fun of me. They're going to give me funny looks. But I can only imagine it's going to be the same exact thing you had just said. Oh yeah, I've had better. My parents can make it better. Oh, my family can make it better. One day I'll try it. I'll let you know. I had not had Filipino food and Ari gave me a recipe for adobo. So I made it. I've never tried it before, but I have a relative who's Filipino. So I was like, I was thinking of making adobo. Do you want to stay for dinner and tell me if it tastes right? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and it looked good. It looked legit. Yeah. So I made it, but I made it like a healthy version. And okay. he said it, it tasted right but it tasted healthier. <laughs> so, like, you can do it. You just have to change a few things. <laughs> yeah, you just need to like up the fat. It's it's so hard to diet, especially when my parents are in town. I don't know how other Asian cultures typically deal with it, but Filipinos, they're the ones that like, oh, you're so fat, but you need to eat more. Yeah. I'm yep. like, what? Stop. And it's a topic of conversation when they greet you. Oh, tumabae <laughs> Oh, I got flashbacks. You even said it with the accent. Mm. <laughs> and you expect it when you're seeing relatives that you haven't seen in a while. They're going to mm -hmm. comment on your weight. No matter if you gained weight, lost yeah. weight, whatever. You could be a stick and yeah. they will still comment on it. In all the Asian cultures, I think. I've had it too. Like one time I went back home and one of my uncles was working and I went into the store and he looked at me like, look how much weight you got. And I was like, and he's way more heavy than I am. So I was like, look who's talking. But that's just normal. My grandmother, she's always telling me I'm not eating enough. And then <laughs> after my first year of college, I gained a freshman 20, go yeah. back home. And she's like, you need to go to the gym. I'm like, Okay, this is a whole new level. <laughs> like grandma's telling me I, go, I gained weight. That's emergency level. But then yeah, she still fed me a lot of food. <laughs> make it make sense. Which is it? It's yeah. their love language. Yeah. yeah. A frustrating love language. It's funny how we have to interpret it too. We have to tell ourselves, even though this is not fun to hear, they mean it out of love. Like it's a lot of decoding. It's very interesting because I feel like any other culture would interpret this. Oh my God, they're so mean. I can't wait to move out. This is awful. But as Filipinos, we're so hardwired to, no, they mean it. They mean it well, but shrug it off. They say it out of love and we have to interpret it as such. Obviously, it'll come to a point where it's like not cool, but for the most part, I feel yeah. like that's just the way that we're built to interpret these compliments. Definitely, there's friction between the Western culture that we're brought up in and the Asian culture that our parents and our relatives were brought up in. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of my relatives who are older, when somebody says, oh, you lost weight, they will take that as a compliment. Mm -hmm. I don't really see it that way and it doesn't quite land that way with me, but I know where they're coming from. Yeah, no, exactly. I understand completely because of the pandemic and all that, I have gained a lot of weight. A lot of the stuff that I've recorded via pandemic has been from home and my parents made a comment on my weight the other day and I went, Yes, I'm well aware that I'm very big now. <laughs> so I know, out of love, but at the same time, really? Come on. And it's hard because there's just two different ways of thinking, two different cultures. And is one really right or wrong? Or is it just that we're different cultures? 
No, yeah, of wrong? course. I don't know. That's always something that I feel like is just going to be in our head. Yeah. There's no way around it. And it's really up to ourselves to decide whether or not it's a good or bad thing. Yeah, because I feel if you're not from the culture, like if you're white or you were brought up in a very Western family, you would look at this and say, oh my God, this is bad. This is abusive <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. I've definitely not. heard that from like people. It's like, oh, that's so abusive. They can't treat you like that. I was like, yes, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I agree with you, however. It's funny because I was telling a friend, a white, half Mexican, he, white dude, his dad is a white guy, like they raised him differently. And I was telling him some of the things my parents said, like, oh yeah, my mom said that I'm going to get fat if I, and he was like, what? She said that? And I was like, yeah. And for them, it, for him, it was like a huge deal. Whoa, people don't huh. say it, but, it's, but for me, it was just like a normal. Thing. Yeah, that's just a normal day with family. It shouldn't be a normal day with family, but that's just a normal day with our family yeah and i think sometimes there's a lot of emphasis on just how outrageous these seem to the west but not enough is told about the things that the westerners do that we're like what like shoes in the house yeah shoes in the house no sorry yeah. no, no. <laughs> on the bed you walk around with those right? on the bed all right hold up <laughs> i have not met anyone like that yet <laughs> oh i have not on the bed but like on the sofa when I was mm -hmm. in college, I was living in residence. I was hanging out with friends in somebody's room and one of the girls there just crossed her legs with her shoes on, on the sofa and nobody blinked an eye. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, I need to go sanitize all the furniture in my room. <laughs> I've always found that so weird. Yeah, so it goes both ways. I think a lot of times the focus is on how Asians are weird, but let's face it, Westerners are weird too. We all have our weirdness mm -hmm. and it's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had to like change my thinking because growing up in a Western country, I used to think, oh, the Western way, that's the standard and our way is the different way. But no, actually, it's not the standard. If I went to Asia, then our way would be the standard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It really is the melting pot of ideas. This is how this culture handles this. This is how this culture handles this. And from there, we get to formulate our own ideas. And then going back to the TFC or cultural television, it's just, oh, okay. So this is why I interpret this way. Little things like that create this really unique perspective, especially for those of us that live here in the US. Because I work with a lot of Japanese animation, I'm more familiar with the way that their culture is. A lot of us in the nerd side of things love anime. So being over here, being able to scream and shout my love for anime and junk the way I do just would not be received the same way in a different culture. So yeah, we've gathered things from different cultures and formed our own selves. Asian American culture is different from Asian culture. I don't relate to mainland Asians as much. If I knew someone who was Asian Australian, for example, like their experience is more similar to mine than somebody who was... Who grew up there, who experienced everything. I am technically from the Philippines. Do I identify verbatim their experiences? No, not at all. But yeah, someone who is from Europe, from Australia, more or less, we have similar experiences because we're not from mainland, mm -hmm. wherever it may be. It's yeah. just very interesting. Have you been back to the Philippines? Once in 2000? I don't remember what I did exactly. But I've only been back that one time and I would love to go again now that I'm older and I can experience it as an adult. Yeah, I've only been back once and it was in 97 and the same. I would love to go back. There's a lot of aspects of the culture that I'm familiar with. I know the food, I know the language, but I have not been back there. It's just so weird, especially never being back 
to your home country. If you've been once and you come back and you're like, wow, this is where my entire heritage is from. The disconnect is very interesting, especially as you grow up with it. So it's how would I fit in over there? What would my experience be like now? It's something that I really think about often, actually, because before I have kids, I should really take in my culture <laughs> so I can regurgitate it back to them. This is where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of Asian Americans that I know, once they become adults and they're not dealing with bullying and asking like, oh, what are you eating? Now it's like, okay, I feel safe enough or secure enough in myself to like go try and rediscover my culture. No, of course. Trying to rediscover that is really the best part about being an adult now. So yeah. now we can try and rediscover all of our culture without the bullying and the weird look. So I grew up in Mauritius, which is a tiny island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And my parents are second generation Mauritian. So my great grandparents on my mom's side came from China, but everybody else was born there. And most of us have never been to China. So my mom went to China a couple years ago for the first time with a family friend. And we're Hakka Chinese. So they went to the village that most Hakka people are from that are in Mauritius. And my mom speaks Hakka pretty well, but she went there and she was like, I couldn't understand anything they were saying <laughs> because the language had changed so much by the, you know. Oh, that's crazy. My great-grandparents moved to Mauritius in the 30s or 40s and my mom went there 2018. So the language has evolved over time. The accent has evolved. And then she also didn't realize that, yes, she was fluent, but she was fluent in the language of stuff you say at home, food related, house right. chores related, family related. Would you say it's the equivalent of when Kizzy say that was very lit? Yeah. <laughs> Is it equivalent to how we see Gen Z language? No, it's more if you compare Quebec French with French French. Oh. Because yeah. French has evolved since then, but Quebec French has evolved in its own way. So they just sound very different. The words are the same, but the pronunciations changed enough that it's hard for you to get what they're saying. So she was like, yeah, that was a culture shock because she thought that she would at least be able to get around. And yeah, no, it was a very foreign place. She did have a good time. She said the food was amazing, but she did not understand as much Hakka as she thought she would. I feel like that is what would happen to me if I went back because I consider myself fluent. I speak it with my family and stuff. Right. But I remember we were watching a Filipino mass and the priest, he's speaking at a higher level. He's using bigger Tagalog words. There were words I couldn't catch. And so if someone spoke to me on that level or if someone's a native speaker, their vocabulary repository is way bigger than mine is. I'm fluent enough to have normal conversations, but I would feel a lot less fluent if I went to the Philippines. Yeah. That's so crazy to think about. I don't think I've ever even thought about how our languages have evolved separately of each other because we're in different parts of the world. You just blew my mind. I'm going to be thinking about that all day, I swear. It's so interesting. But if you think about just English, right? How many English accents are there? And even though the same words may exist in the English and American dictionary and Canadian dictionary, different regions choose to use different words more often. And then the accents are different. When I go to the south, I have a hard time understanding. It takes me a couple of days to get used to it. I have a hard time understanding New Zealand English. I need subtitles. <laughs> and even British sometimes, I need subtitles. And it's funny because within British accent, there's Cockney, there's what is it, the royal, like the whatever. Yeah. There's different British accents, yeah. and some of them are difficult. Yeah. And then Irish and Scottish, these are all English words, but they sound very different. <laughs> 
I, you're definitely right. It's never even occurred to me that was a thing that could happen yeah. with our languages. Again, mind blown. <laughs> the glass shatter of the obvious. Yeah. Because we are growing up in the West, we lose a lot of the nuance of our culture. It's just this one thing. We don't really see it for all the complexity that exists within it. Oh yeah, I'm Filipino or I'm Chinese, but you don't really explore the whole gamut of what that means. Right. I knew that other Filipino languages exist, but I think I was older when I had learned Tagalog is actually not the only language. There is one for every island, more or less. Of the 7,100 islands, there is more or less a dialect for each one. Gosh, the only ones that come to mind are Ilocano, because one of my cousins spoke that. And then Bisaya, that's that's the other one. I wish I knew more. My parents didn't raise me on that. So if a Filipino tourist came and spoke to me, I could pick out words here and there and be like, okay, you need to get from point A to point B. Gotcha. Oh, you're looking for this food. Maybe you go over there. But as far as holding a conversation, cannot do it. Yeah, it's tough. Most of the guests we've had on this show, it's the same. They don't speak the same language as their parents. And it was either their parents really wanted them to learn English first, or they just weren't taught for whatever reason. Yeah, I asked my parents about that recently, actually, because I had a voiceover session where someone, they said, I don't mean any offense, but you speak very good English. If you had or have an Asian accent, I can't hear it at all. Oh, that's because my parents never taught it to me. So I asked my parents, hey, why didn't you ever teach me Filipino? It's because they said they wanted me to learn English first and they didn't want to impede my learning process of it. Okay, I understand. I'm a little annoyed that I don't know Filipino because I can't pass that on or converse. It's definitely benefited me in voiceover as far as I have a very neutral accent. But when it comes to roles that come my way that they're looking for someone Filipino that can speak Tagalog, I can't even audition for this because this is what they want and I can't provide it for them. So it's been this hindrance yet blessing in disguise. That's a good segue into the next question I want to ask you, which is mm -hmm. how has your ethnicity affected your career as an actor? in terms of the opportunities that you feel you can get. It's no secret that if you're not a white actor, you're going to get the short end of the stick. In most jobs anyway, not just acting. But I remember there was a on-camera audition that I was going for. Whether it was maliciously or not, one of the casting directors was like, we would love to have you, but you look very similar to a lot of other Asian actors that we get. You remind me of the guy from Maze Runner. I was like, no? <laughs> What? <laughs> Not even close. And so that's always stuck in my head is oh, if I don't get on camera roles for whatever it may be, I look like every other Asian actor. On some degree, I can see that because I feel like I can look at myself unbiasedly and go, yeah, you look a little bit too similar. If they wanted specific silhouettes for a character, I would not stand out. Which is why I think voiceover is something very interesting that I can literally be anyone. No one would know any better as far as what I look like if I didn't blast my social media with pictures of myself. As far as that goes, a lot of voiceover right now, not to call out any of the studios that I work with, but a lot of them are very white centralized casting rosters. There is a lot of shows prior to pandemic that were very white with maybe one, two black actors, maybe a couple Asian actors. There is a lot of Asian people in this community. 
and they're just not getting auditions. They're not getting the sides. It's the same five white actors for the same shows. Are you kidding me? Really? And if we wanted to get representative casting, none of you should even be in the show technically. We should all be Japanese. But that's a whole other can of worms. I'm not even going to open up. But when the pandemic started, it opened itself up to a lot of more ethnicities, whether it be people calling out studios and be like, yo, that's racist. Or actually having access to remote talent from across the world. A few highlights we finally have. The very first mainland Malaysian actor in an English dub for anime. Su Ling, I believe is her name. But little things like that, because of the remote recording that we can do, we can bring in all these actors from around the world to fill these roles or be representative of the actual characters. Same can't really be said for on-camera acting. You could totally fly someone in, but for voiceover, more or less, it wasn't unheard of, but especially for anime, it's groundbreaking. And I think that's where I've benefited a lot. We're finally getting the representation uh, and they're considering other ethnicities, heritages in their shows rather than just the same five white actors. And no detriment to them. They're very talented. It's just that there is a lot of people that could probably do the same job. Things are changing, I would like to say for the better. The only time will tell. But yeah. as far as on-camera acting is really the only place that I've seen my ethnicity and the whole Asians look the same stereotype really affect me. Voiceover, not nearly as much. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also the fact that I can't speak my native language. And so it has been a little hard, especially because people are reaching out now. We're trying to include more cultural references and more languages in our shows. And so I'm like, oh, cool. I would love to audition for this, but I can't speak anything. I can throw little things like, oh, no. <laughs> little words here and there, but I would never be able to speak the language. And it's just, it's frustrating when I can't do that. This looks like such a fun character, but I just, I can't even humor it. So yeah. I'm hoping it's changing, but I think a lot of the initial efforts for bringing diversity has been to bring in the Asian-ness in those characters mm -hmm. and then looking for people who can speak the language and who are very immersed in the culture. But my gripe with it is Asian-American experiences are different. And Ari and I have talked about this a lot. We need Asian-American stories to be told too, not just Asian stories to give representation. And so I'm hoping that we are moving in the direction where those Asian-American stories are being told. And then you would be the perfect person to be telling the story. I imagine that's exactly why Turning Red did so well, because that's exactly what it is. It's not an American story, mind you, but it is a very decentralized, off-the-mainland Asian story. And in Canada, that movie gave me PTSD because I've talked to a lot of people. So, oh my gosh, I love the movie. I was like, man, the mom made me mad because it reminded me of mine and I couldn't enjoy the movie anymore. I, oh my God. I am so glad you said that because I felt the same way. It was good. It was a very good movie, but it caught to a point where I can't enjoy this. Every action this mother is making, I'm getting so, so mad. <laughs> Please stop. Disney movies don't need villains anymore. We're, now we just have to villainize our parents' actions that mortified us as kids and ruined us <laughs> as we became the adults. We don't need villains that take over the world. No, we just have growing pains and... <laughs> Intergenerational trauma. That, exactly. Intergenerational trauma. <laughs> it's so funny, like my two current favorite Disney animated, it's Encanto and Turning Red. Which is literally just that. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Encanto 
even more because the the grandmother reminds me of another family member that I just and it's so funny because I'm watching that film and Abuela apologizes and I'm like in real life that would not happen nope that's I will never talk to you again I'm disowning you from my family yeah no yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Raya? Because I had many thoughts on it. It was all right. <laughs> As a movie, it was all right. And even what it is representative of Asian culture, I feel like it didn't do enough. I don't know if you guys saw the controversy, and I apologize if anyone's listening to this later and is like, no, he's wrong. They cast a bunch of misrepresented Asians in these roles. I agree that is a missed opportunity, but that's also one of the facets of voice acting that it's fine. But it's a Disney film, so of course the attention is going to be, oh, did they do this correctly? Are they being really representative as one of the big multimedia franchise people? And so people are definitely going to look on that. The way the story was told, it was very, very westernized. And it did not push nearly into the Asian territory as I thought it would have. It was very safe as an Asian film. Yeah. It felt like they just created this really generic Southeast Asian culture that doesn't exist. It just felt very generic in terms of the way it was represented. In some films and movies, I think it's fine if you create your own version of a specific culture, as long as it makes sense, (laughs) because it is Asian. And how very clearly Asian it is, it was just, no, this isn't. You didn't do enough. It just wasn't great. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great either. (laughs) So of all the characters that you've played so far, which one would you say was your favorite and why? Of the current ones that I can talk about, it would be Kaede in Fena Pirate Princess. Kaede is very much like me. And if you can't grasp from my personality throughout this entire podcast, I am just ridiculous. My energy is all over the place. And it's not an exaggeration. I have no off switch. And Kaede The worst part about it is he's one of two. He has a twin in the show. His name is Enju. And Kaede generally feels like he is the more mature twin, but he's really not. And he's always going around yelling, all excited. And then the times that he is calmed down, he just has this giant smile on his face. There is a lot of action in the show, and it's nice to see that as a pirate and samurai, he's able to switch between his two sides very quickly. And I feel like that's something that happens to me too. As a martial artist, I have this mode that only intensified when I moved out here to LA because LA is not safe. Doing stunt work for me is fun and I love it to death, but it is also very hard for me because if I get into an altercation, my mind doesn't just go, oh man, I should get out of here. It goes into, how do I defend myself? I think seeing that in Kaede also, when he needs to get into action, he does it, especially with his brother. The other actor, Brandon Winkler, who plays Enju, I've always thought of him as a voiceover brother. He's been there for me throughout our entire careers, and so it was very nice to be one half of this chaotic ball of sunshine. He's just such a great character. I love him so much. I wish he did more in the show, but I love him so much. So you mentioned Brandon and Tony at the beginning of the interview. So you've had some white allies along the way. How has it been in general? Do you find that, especially being in LA, that people are very open and are willing to help? Or is it more the exception that these people have taken you under their wing? 
I feel like it is very open. If anyone has ever been to New York, it's a very big melting pot. And LA is everyone. The culture shock is crazy out here, especially for someone that grew up in Connecticut. So it's just a given if you're going to live out here, you are okay with other cultures <laughs> or you don't mind the fact that there are other people other than white people. A lot of LA and California is Hispanic. A lot of the people that I've met here have been very genuine as far as championing me throughout my career as I do for them. I have a lot of black actor friends that help me get opportunities that I would never even hope to get. Same thing with a lot of my white actor friends. More recently, I've come across a lot more active Asian actors. When I first started, I had a handful of friends that I was like, you guys aren't getting the opportunities that I want you to because you're also talented. And I know so many now. I'm actually struggling to think of them all as I talk, which is so incredible. Why did it take me so long to find all of you? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. And it's because of how saturated the acting industry is. And how spread out LA is. Exactly. It's so weird. We're so spread out, but we're so in one place. It's a small world, but it just takes an hour to drive to anywhere. Don't even get me started. I had to go to Burbank this morning, which should have only been 20, 15 minutes. It took me an hour. It, and it was like 9 a.m. No one should be on the road. <laughs> Yep, that's LA for you. I remember I went back home a couple years back. I was driving and my mom was like, oh, well, let's not go this way. There'll be a lot of traffic. And I was like, mom, what's the worst that could happen? And we finally got on the highway. She's like, oh, there's so much traffic. I was like, this is traffic? <laughs> I, what are you talking about? Now that I know what traffic is, this is child's play. <laughs> One of the most dangerous things I ever learned to do was a left turn in LA. <laughs> That actually does sound dangerous. It's no, it's awful. I hate it. <laughs> Good old LA. Good old LA. We love, love it, it though. <laughs> we do. <laughs> it's a love hate relationship. It really is. All right. Before we end this interview, we usually have a few rapid fire questions that we ask each of our guests. So these can be one word answers or one phrase answers. You don't have to explain. You can if you want. And then we'll let people know where they can find you. If it is incriminating, I will explain, but we will see what happens. <laughs> All right. What was the first language you learned? English. What language do you speak with your parents? English. What's an Asian food that you should like but don't? Fermented anything. <laughs> What's an Asian food that you'll never get tired of? Ube? Ramen. Ramen. What's a stereotype about your culture that is actually true for you? A lot of us aren't great at driving. I'm great at driving, <laughs> but... Mm -hmm. <laughs> and finally what is a stereotype about your culture that is not true for you can i say driving again it's true i'm gonna go with driving again right. because i feel like that is such a big stereotype if i'm ever on the road and someone's in front of me and i pass them and i'm like oh of course you're asian why are you proving the stereotype why are you doing this all right before we let you go do you want to let people know where they can find you of course. You guys can find me on Daryl J. Delphin on all my social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm mostly on Twitter nowadays. I also stream on Twitch if you enjoy video games. I also am trying to do YouTube. Keep watch for any of my shows that I'm in come out. That didn't come out in English. You, I'm an actor. You guys go watch my shows, please. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. No, of course. Thank you for having me, really. Here are our takeaways for today's episode. Number one, we don't often give ourselves permission to dream big until someone else advocates for us, like Daryl's friend did. 
Number two, growing up in the diaspora often means having a less nuanced and often reductive experience of our culture. For many of us, food is our only remaining connection to our culture. Number three, weird is relative. Although white Americans may find Asian American customs, foods, and behaviors strange, the reverse is equally true. We find a lot of stuff that white people do very strange. Number four, because we're perceived as perpetual foreigners, many of us don't start to appreciate and become more curious about our heritage until well into adulthood when we feel less social pressure to fit in. We also saw this with Charlene's episode a few weeks back. Number five, one unfortunate but common experience for diaspora actors is that they were actively discouraged to learn their cultural language as kids. And now, as adults, they find themselves ineligible to play roles that tell stories about their ethnicity because they assimilated and learned only English. Number six, the pandemic has been devastating, but it did have two positive outcomes. One, it normalized remote working to the point where hiring remote talent in service of authenticity started to become more common. And two, the increasing focus on social justice has raised the bar when it comes to accurate cultural representation in the media. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nuances podcast. If you enjoyed our show, it would be super helpful if you could leave a rating or review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to right now. This would help us reach more people like you who really enjoy this work. That's it for today. I'll see you next week for another Nuanced Conversation. Mm-hmm.